Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here alongside the founder of brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, for today's episode that's brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. This is part two, part two of our Game 5 preview, our NBA Finals Wrap so far after four games, we're rambling on about all the things that we are really interested in here. Frank, uh, we ended part one. So if if you've missed part one, so we've got a post-game podcast from game four. Then we had part one of this discussion. This is part two. So if you're listening to this right now, go back one podcast and check out part one where Frank ended the show by discussing the role of Brooke Lopez as we bounce back and forth on his, uh, his uh, situation in this series. Uh, the fact that his minutes have been up and down like a yo-yo a little bit there. But the conversation around Brook Lopez brought me to talk about PJ Tucker. So we're going to dive right back in as I pick it up, talking a little bit of Tuck. I'm glad you brought up PJ Tucker earlier in um, in that conversation there around Brook because, again, I mean, I've, I've spoken about the different lineup versatility you have uh, relentlessly throughout, throughout the end of the regular season when they got PJ Tucker, but also through the postseason. And I can't remember who you were discussing this with, Frank, but I remember one night I was just scrolling the old Twitter machine and I saw you comment something about PJ Tucker. I, I can't remember who it was or what it was about, but basically the premise of the idea was PJ Tucker shouldn't be starting. It's kind of a, a worthless starter, I think was the general idea. And you said, I don't know what you've been watching. and uh, and I, I just I thought it was a great comment because again this is a series where you look at it and this more so than the Atlanta Atlanta series maybe you looked at it and said I don't know if there's an exact matchup for PJ Tucker in this series obviously he's been doing a fair bit of work on Devin Booker throughout uh, as well but you know that he's not really a guy that the opposition needs to worry about offensively scoring the ball but again. This guy has just been flying everywhere on the offensive rebounds. He's getting you two and a half per game on the offensive rebound. And they aren't long rebounds that P.J. Tucker gets. I feel like every single offensive rebound he gets, he ends up on the floor or he's crashing through a a pack of bodies or whatever it may be. I just think whether it is in small lineups or it is complimenting Brook Lopez, so we know Brook Lopez has always been excellent, uh, not necessarily corralling his own rebounds, but creating space, allowing guys um, to be able to collect those those boards and just be a huge body and a huge presence. And PJ Tucker, I, I think, again, this series, no one's going to look at this series and say, well, PJ Tucker was the star. Uh, they're not going to do that. He's not getting the attention he was getting in the series against Brooklyn when he was going nose-to-nose, literally, with Kevin Durant. But again, I, I just think PJ Tucker has been pretty influential in this final series. And there's always three or four moments in the game where I find myself 
looking at PJ Tucker and thinking, shit, man, this guy's just out here making plays and not plays that anyone will really remember, not plays that will really get on the box score or do anything fancy. Uh, he's just out there. And, and he's, again, the type of scrappy, physical, desperate presence that I, I don't think they've had in the past. So I, we haven't brought him up. And I think that that's generally a, a sign of, of PJ Tucker. It's probably been the case for the most of, most of his career. But despite the fact we haven't brought him up, I think he's had a pretty damn good series as well, PJ. I mean, I think any discussion of PJ, you know, it starts with the acknowledgement that obviously he's going to give you very little offensively <laughs> other than the offensive rebounding and the occasional, you know, corner three, right? I mean, if so you get... Can, so can I just give you a quick number here to cut you in? Because this yeah. is hilarious when I was looking at this. So he's averaging 5.3 points per game, which actually feels like an offensive explosion. But the crazy thing is he's averaging 2.8 two-point attempts per game and only 1.5 three-point attempts. He's, he's shooting more inside the perimeter than he is from three, which seems hard to believe. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they're all like putbacks or <laughs> stuff around the basket, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, I, I think the... So, so let's start with the acknowledgement. I mean, would the Bucks' offense be better with Pat Connaughton instead of, Pac, instead of PJ? Uh, I mean, it should be, like, you know... Uh, Pat being an above the break shooter, uh, a better cutter. Uh, you know, we saw him uh, at times, you know, he can take a dribble handoff and, and get to the basket and finish, or, you know, he even had that nice little dump off to Giannis in game three. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think offensively, you should expect to have better offense with Pat Connaughton on the floor in, uh, instead of PJ. Um, that said, it was interesting. So I, I think the, the numbers would have changed a bit yesterday because Pat had that like huge plus minus game yesterday. Uh, and PJ, I think, well, Pat was plus 21 and PJ was minus three, I think. But I looked at it before yesterday. I was kind of curious, like, well, what is what has actually happened in the playoffs with, with the lineups around these two guys? And it's interesting. The offensive rating of the Bucks with PJ on the floor was a 117 and with Pat was a 116.9 through, you know, all the playoff minutes that, that they have. And obviously each year series is different, et cetera. But you know, these are such small samples, right? It's kind of hard to, to make too much out of it. But the playoffs are actually become a pretty big sample, especially for PJ, because PJ played so little during the regular season, and he played so little with the guys that he's playing with now, right? I mean, they never started this group together during the regular season. You know, the, the small ball Giannis center minutes were very few in the regular season. So it, it was interesting, because basically, like, the Bucks offensively have really not lost anything with PJ relative to Pat but they've been six points better defensively with PJ than Pat. And again, that's not to say like Pat's defense has been bad, but you know, that's just kind of what's happened. And, you know, again, I I always like want to be careful to say like, it's not like you can ascribe all that difference to one guy versus the other. Uh, But, you know, I think sometimes this also sort of um, gets at, you know, kind of what I describe, I would frame as, you know, the, when we're trying to be predictive versus descriptive, and by that, I mean, you know, people say that, you know, this guy is, has sucked or we've, we've gotten killed because of this guy on the floor. And, you know, early in the season, ironically, Pat Connaughton, you know, everybody was, was so pissed off about his contract, blah, blah, blah. And you might remember early in the season, he had the, the best net rating on the team for the longest time. And I just remember always looking at that and just saying, like, look, is, is, is Pat Connaughton the reason that the Bucks have this great net rating when he's on the floor? You know, is he the, the best player on the Bucks? Of course right but you know don't tell me that pat connaughton is hurting you when the team is doing great when he's <laughs> when he's on the floor you know from a descriptive what has actually happened standpoint um 
things have been good. And I think with PJ, it's a similar story. Like the starting five, I mean, you know, you go back, it wasn't so much last game, but by and large, the Bucks have generally had good starts in, uh, you know, a lot of these games, even, you know, against Brooklyn, uh, against Atlanta, with the exception of the, those middle two Atlanta games. Um, and even, uh, even the first two games in, in Phoenix, right? Like if we're complaining about the starting five and their performance in Phoenix, it's like, they got out to leads in both of those games. Like the problem was not the first quarter really in those games. The problem was the second quarter and they really didn't even play the starters that much outside of the first and third quarters. I thought there was, I saw there was a lot of criticism that the Bucks weren't playing their starters enough together. So, um, so I mean, it's kind of those things. I also think it's fixating on it too much is a little bit pointless as well, just because as we've pointed out, they basically have like a six and a half man rotation right right now to begin with. And I guess, you know, Teague and, and Bobby have been playing the last, the last, you know, this, this series, which is kind of crazy in some respects, especially the Teague piece. But, um, but you only have really six guys that you, that you really trust, you know, the starters and Pat. And so, you know, again, it's not like we're talking about Pat Connaughton is playing 15 minutes and he should be playing 30, right? Cause PJ is playing 35 and Pat's playing 15. They're all going to play 30 plus, 30 plus minutes. So if they're not playing, you know, as starters, like just give it a few minutes and Pat Connaughton will come in and, you know, you'll see how he does uh, otherwise. And it's not like Devin Booker's playing 30 minutes and, you know, you're, you're, the, the lineups are, are creating really different matchups um, because of that, right? Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, all these guys are playing a ton. The best players are going to be on the floor the vast majority of the game. And, even these role players are going to play a ton and, and have lots of opportunities to, to make an impact on the game. So, yeah, I mean, I think the big versus small um, discussion, the lineup discussion, I think that's a very relevant discussion because obviously there's going to be some matchups and, you know, some combinations where um, especially in these games, we've seen it time and again, you know, one team gets a, gets, goes on a spurt based on in part, you know, the matchups created by certain types of lineups. So, I mean, I think that obviously matters, but the flip side is, um, you know, there's not really that many different combinations that these teams are playing at this point. And at this point, they're so evenly matched that, you know, if, if any of your lineup combinations have a, you know, minus 10 run, I mean, that could be the ball game. Right. So, um, so anyway, I think, you know, again, just to sum up, I, I just don't I, I just don't know that it's worth making that big of a deal out of it because it, ultimately PJ Tucker, he's a smart player and also he doesn't do stupid stuff in terms of offensively. He is Never very much aware. Never. He's very much aware of his limitations, and so you know he's not going to have the four for twenty <laughs> the four for twenty game. So is he actively you know adding things offensively? Uh, oftentimes he's adding very little in that regard. But he's going to give you switchable, solid defense. Is he the perfect matchup on Devin Booker or, or Drew Holiday? Or sorry, or on Chris Paul? No, he's not perfect for that. But he's switchable. And I don't think the Suns look at him and say like, oh, yeah, like we're going to feast now because we can go attack P.J. Tucker in a switch or whatever it might be, right? Um, you know, I thought, I thought game four was, was maybe his worst game defensively just because of the fouling. You know, like he fouled Booker a couple times. I don't know. I don't know if there were two, three point um, fouls that he got caught on or, or what, but he got, he got a couple perimeter fouls that, um, that were just unfortunate. I think one of them might've been a high five type foul, which I think Nate Duncan was saying probably should have been challenged in the first place. But, um, 
but yeah, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, PJ has been a big part of a very, very short rotation and uh, you know, he's just solid. And ultimately, you know, there's not going to be a lineup where you're going to say PJ Tucker is unplayable and uh, you know, worst case scenario, offensively, you park him in the weak side corner and you know, you're running actions far away from him. And again, is he helping? No. Are you sagging? Are they sagging off of him? Yes. Uh, but is that, is that, is that why Drew Holiday goes four for 20? No, absolutely not. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think PJ has been a huge part of, you know, the Bucks' success, especially given their lack of depth. And um, again, it's not to say that, that he's better than Pat Connaughton or whatever it might be, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see PJ continuing to get big minutes and they're going to need him in these last few games. All right, Frank, let's talk about betonline.ag. Now they've been fantastic sponsors of the podcast for a long time. And we know you can find all the odds, info, and sporting needs you have with the NBA Finals at betonline.ag. But you can also find MLB, uh, futures for NFL. The Packers season is not going to be too far away here. And then UFC and MMA action as well. So before the next pitch or shot or hit, whatever it is, Head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device, and you can check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Just head to the website, sign up today. You'll receive a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On there. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Today on Road to the Finals, our NBA Finals coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Yeah, ultimately, I think if you're looking at the starting lineup of Drew, Chris, uh, and Brooke and Giannis in there as well, and you're telling yourself or you're thinking to yourself that you want more offense then there's probably a problem with the way you're running your offense. And I, and I think, to be fair, in the Atlanta series, um, maybe when they could actually hide Trey Young, it was a little bit different. Phoenix don't really have that guy that, that is an awful defender that they're trying to hide. So I think it is a little bit different. And no doubt, the Drew Holiday situation right now. I mean, they, they just need a breakout Drew Holiday game. I'm looking at these numbers from the finals here. He's 14 for 34, 41% within 10 feet of the basket. He's 6 for 23 on pull-up jump shots, 3 for 12 on catch-and-shoot jump shots. It's just been absolutely disastrous for Drew. He's had some big nights, though. I mean, look, he had the five-point, uh, five three-pointers in Game 3 that were obviously huge. He's had some big moments through the postseason, but just has not been consistently reliable when it came to the jump shots. So that would be the big thing I'm looking for. It's pretty simplistic, Frank, but if Drew Holiday can knock down some of those jumpers, maybe it's time for that... Rare game where Chris, Drew, and Giannis all have a clicking, <laughs> score 100 points together, perhaps. That sounds nice on the road. And Milwaukee can take a 3-2 lead and head home. You'll be getting on a plane to Fiserv Forum and everyone will be fired up. <laughs> well, and, and but, but, you know, don't underestimate weird things to happen, right? The, the game where, where Drew, uh, uh, Chris, and Giannis combined for you know, 90 points or whatever. It could also be the game where the rest of the team scores 11 and the Bucks lose, you know, 115-101 and we're there sitting like, how the heck could they have lost the game with, with those guys going off? It's like, it happens. There's just, it, there's so many different things that happen in games. You just never know. But 
but yeah, it, it would, Hey, that would be nice. If all those guys could just be good at the same time, that would, that would be a real, a really wonderful thing to see. And, um, you know, like, kind of like, I feel like we were saying it a lot in that Brooklyn series, but we just kept waiting for that breakout three point shooting night. And, um, you know, we saw it towards the end of both series that, uh, the Bucks won, a, got a couple big wins in both those series because, uh, even if it wasn't, I think, you know, even if it wasn't always them shooting the lights out from the start, um, they ended up hitting, hitting threes and, and doing enough other things to, uh, to put points on the board. And, um, you know, Hey, it's great that they can survive and crash the boards. And in many cases, take care of the ball really well and get all these extra possessions and everything. But, um, yeah, let's just do it the old fashioned way by just scoring a crap ton of points and making jump shots and, um, you know, looking like the team that we saw so much during the regular season. I'm, I'm very much in favor of that, uh, that version of the bucks. Um, it would be nice to just have a outlier shooting night and, uh, and, and have that happen. But I, I will say I, I was, um, I mean, ultimately, obviously the, the Suns rest of the team, most of that team did not have a great game, uh, last night, but it's, it's so interesting to me, the nerve factor and the nerves and, and who's, who looks nervous and who doesn't. I mean, the fact that the bucks looked so nervous, many of the bucks looked so nervous last night, uh, is interesting to me. And, um, I thought, you know, the Suns have a lot of young players, but you know, guys like Cam Johnson in particular, definitely didn't look afraid of the moment. I think I've been really impressed with Cam Johnson all series. Uh, anytime he shoots a three, I just expect it to go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going to be interesting to see them going back to Phoenix. And, um, you know, they've had some role player contributions. I mean, Jay Crowder, certainly. Hey, Jay Crowder used to play in Milwaukee at Marquette. He looked at home these last two games shooting the ball. We need probably more of the Jay Crowder from game one uh, for the rest of this series. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the role player the role player contribution discussion is going to be really interesting this year, just, or sorry, this, uh, this next game, you know, now that we've seen the box get that home crowd boost in games three and four, get some of those role players at least um, contributing uh, in, uh, in that, you know, game four really wasn't so much a role player game though. I mean, Pat's been good pretty much all playoffs. So I don't even, I expect him to to make shots kind of regardless of where they're playing, but, uh, but you know, I mean, that's just the phenomenon that we're used to seeing. So, I don't know. I mean, are you, do you have, we haven't really talked at all about Jeff Teague and his minutes or, you know, Bob, we don't really, really didn't talk about Bobby. He had kind of a quiet offensive game, obviously yesterday, but uh, do you have any thoughts on kind of the way this, this rotation has shaken out? Because I think you, you've talked about a fair bit. I mean, it seems like Jeff Teague's minutes are just obviously a means of, of giving some relief to the Bucks, other initiators and just trying to steal some time while campaign is on the floor and getting, getting, uh, you know, Drew and, and Chris uh, a chance to, if not rest, to at least not have to dribble the ball up and do all the, the playmaking. Um, what's, what's your take on kind of where the Bucks rotations have, shake, have, have kind of shaken out? Because let's just say, I, I, you know, especially if you told me after the Miami series, double-digit minutes in the finals, I would have said, that's surprising. Um, but it's such a long playoffs that, you know, there's there's always the ebbs and flows to this, but anything surprise you as far as who Bud is going with at this point? I mean, I I also wouldn't have predicted that Jeff Teague was going to be playing double digit minutes in the finals, but I also think that it kind of is is all he's got right now. I mean, we've seen Bryn Forbes out there, and and look, 
we'll be thankful to Bryn Forbes forever for what he did in the Miami series. It was incredibly fun. He was a flamethrower. It was awesome. But he's been awful ever since. And the one thing, you know, I mean, you mentioned it before. And look, they're different types of players. So I'm not comparing them in in this regard. But you spoke about PJ Tucker not uh, having the four for 20 game or or not being undisciplined, ill-disciplined on offense. I mean, Bryn Forbes... He's just going to fire and fire and fire and fire. And they're all going to be pretty much bad looking shots. He's going to be leaning. He's going to be fading. He's going to be on a line on the ground and you'll still try and shoot a three. So look, I, I think that after the first round, I wouldn't have predicted that Bryn Forbes would be out of the rotation. But let's also remember, Dante DiVincenzo was lost in that Miami series as well. And Jeff Teague wouldn't be sniffing the floor if Dante DiVincenzo was playing. So I think more than anything, it's just highlighted a, a lack of ball handling and we knew this through the regular season, mind you. I mean, DJ Augustine obviously didn't have a good time here in Milwaukee, wasn't able to play to probably what they predicted when they gave him that contract. And Jeff Teague was really an emergency relief in case you've had injury and you had to play him. So I'm looking at the rotation and I'm looking at the minutes for this final. Chris Middleton is at 42.4. Drew Holiday's up over 40. Giannis is at 39, but um, we know in game one he was... You know, held back a little bit and then there was a blowout as well. So he's been playing over 40 minutes per game. So it's really hard for me to to really complain about the rotation, Frank, because I'm like, I don't know what else you do. I don't really want Forbes out on the floor. I don't want the Nassas out on the floor. So it's kind of like, well, 11 minutes is probably a little bit much for Jeff Teague, but I understand why he's doing it. It's built by time, Frank, and... I wonder if our listeners, how many of our listeners out there have been having their lucky built bars before games perhaps home games bucks nine and one at five serve forum now but built bar is a fantastic sponsor of our show they have been for as long as i've been uh, the host of this podcast here it is the best tasting protein bar that's ever been made there are so many delicious flavors that you can choose from including german chocolate strawberry salted caramel mint brownie raspberry coconut just to name a few but you can find out all those flavors at built.com there's only 17 to 18 grams of protein calories are ranging from 130 to 180 only four to five grams of sugar and four to five grams of net carbs so they're amazing flavors they're all t- tasty but they're also all healthy go to built.com use the promo code locked and you'll get 15 percent off your order use promo code locked for 15 percent off at built.com yeah the, and the funny part is i mean Bryn Forbes, was it game two that he played fourth quarter minutes or was it game one? I don't, I don't remember, but, um, you know, he, uh, I mean, actually it wasn't necessarily for good reasons, but I, I just recall a very rushed um, baseline jump shot from him. That might've been game one. Even. Yeah, I don't was, know. When they were coming but, back. Yeah. I don't yeah, remember that one. Whew. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, these things kind of go back and forth. Uh, I, it wouldn't completely shock me if we saw a Bryn Forbes appearance. Um, in in this next game um you know but but i would say given that they've won two in a row they've been able to for the most part hide t when he's been in the game i mean going up against campaign who has been kind of up and down uh i as as good as campaign has been over the past few months you know he hasn't been as as good over the past you know two rounds Uh, he's definitely had some moments um, but I, I'm still not like living in fear of campaign, <laughs> campaign. Right. Uh, so, you know, they've kind of survived, but this is always the hard part for coaches, right? Is okay, great. 
you know, you think you can survive with Jeff Teague on the floor against campaign. Well, is that really better than just stretching your better players longer and trying to actually, you know, win those minutes? I mean, that's the, that's the challenge that, that both Monty Williams and, and Bud have to figure out as far as just how far can they stretch these guys. But as you pointed out, it's, it's not like, uh, Drew Holiday's playing 36 minutes and Middleton's playing 37 minutes or something like that. And there's clearly more meat on the bone of those guys playing longer. I mean, they, they probably can't play a whole lot much more than, than they already have. Although who knows, right? I mean, <laughs> we're literally getting towards, um, you know, we're, we're not in the, at it yet, but by game six, it will be do or die for one of these teams. And, you know, uh, are they going to go full Steve Nash or shall I say full Tim Frazier? Uh, and and play you know a full full game. I don't think Bud is going to play anybody necessarily full game, but I would not be surprised at all if we saw you know potentially guys play entire second halves or you know twenty three minutes of a of a second half or something like that. Which that was at least one of the uh, silver linings of Giannis having the weird sort of rest weirdly restful first quarter was that uh, you know it kept his it kept his minute load in check a little bit and. I'm sure he had a little bit more to give the rest of the game just because honestly he hadn't really exerted himself much in that first quarter. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, the, I'd be fascinated, you know, to, to just see kind of what kind of work the coaches staffs, the coaching staffs on both teams are putting in at this point. Um, and, and kind of what the process is like for them. Um, I think, I think the, if people haven't been listening to the, uh, Zach Lowe post game pods. They've been very interesting. I'm trying to remember who, Oh, it was Steve Clifford. Um, Clifford Steve Clifford. I thought, yeah. I, was that after game two? Did, was yeah. that one Clifford? Yeah. Steve Clifford was really interesting. Cause he provided us a perspective on like, okay, you know, after the game, like what are the assistants doing? What, you know, how are they going to regroup as a coaching staff, et cetera. And he kind of was talking about, you know, basically they, everybody would rewatch the game. They'd have certain assignments. And then, you know, the next day they next morning, whatever they're, when they're flying out, they would, you know, kind of compare notes and, and kind of brainstorm. It sounded like as, as a coaching staff. And that's just interesting to me because, you know, again, just trying to think through in a, in a playoff series where again, everybody has kind of, you know, we've seen these teams go at it now four straight games. People have probably tried most of the things they're going to try. Um, and so now it's just basically, I don't know, to some extent it feels like to, you know, largely at this point, it's all right, you've seen our stuff. We've seen your stuff and who can do their stuff better, better than the other team at this point. Right. It's not, it's not so much going to be about, you know, the element of surprise at this point. Um, I don't think, you know, Jordan war is going to get dusted off to, to uh, catch the, the suns, uh, you know, by, by surprising game five. Um, but uh, it, uh, it, it is an interesting thing just to see kind of things going back and forth. And I think for me, that's been one of the reliefs is that, you know, Monty Williams, NBA coach of the year, um, deservedly getting a ton of credit for the turnaround that, that the Suns have had and to get all the way, all the way where they are now. Um, I mean, objectively speaking, would anybody look at this series and feel like Monty Williams is outcoached Bud? I don't think so. Right? I mean, I, I, I mean, again, I'm not saying that people would say that Bud is a, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, it's not a question of who's the better overall coach or who you'd want as your coach moving forward, but you know, the criticism of Bud is always like, well, he gets out coached by the best coaches, you know, when it really matters. Well, you're in the NBA finals, you're going against a great coach and Monty. Um, 
every coach sort of has their different, you know, different things they do well, but you know, have, have, have the Suns just out schemed the bucks? Have they been able to attack the bucks weaknesses? Have they been more creative. I mean, I think both teams have done some interesting things, but it's two, two for a reason to me, you know? And I think, again, I think certainly Bud and Monty probably have some things they would each like to do differently if they could over again. But for the most part, um, I mean, I think that's what's part of what's made this a good series. I think both teams have been constantly making adjustments and trying different things. And, um, you know, again, I think we're here for a reason at two, two. Yeah, it's a good point. We actually haven't spoke a lot about Bud. I mean, we've spoke about adjustments, so I guess indirectly we have. But I, I think over the it's, course... It's like an offensive... He's like an offensive lineman, right? The less you talk about him, the better. Well, it, but isn't it funny? Because we've spoke about all the different things we've tried, and you even you know, mentioned the rotation there. And, and I do think... I mean, there's no guarantee the Bucks are going to win this title. For sure, obviously. But... Again, I, I just don't really think that Bud has been that much of a talking point uh, through the postseason. I mean, he always will be, but most of the criticisms I've seen in the national media and that, I'm kind of like, eh, this just feels like Bud is, is easy to target here. I'm not sure I 100% agree. I mean, you think about all the discussions we've always had. Doesn't play stars enough. I mean, that's... I can barely remember going back to game one where Bud said, I'm just saving the guys or whatever he said, and we were all losing our minds about... Um, him making that comment, but he's played the guys. He's played the guys. It might have been against Brooklyn when he said that, but he's played the. Keep him fresh. Got to want to keep him fresh. Yeah, got to keep him fresh. Well, he knew they were going to the finals, and it was going to be a long series. So, but he's smarter <laughs> than all of us. But but the other stuff in terms of the adjustments. I mean, we speculated all regular season long. Look, he's he's getting these guys prepared. They're trying different things. It's tough to watch at times, and and it's all, it is always funny to me. It's like if he doesn't try things, and the team just dominates and wins all the time then Bud's too stubborn and he's not willing to be flexible. Now we've seen in this series against Phoenix and we saw it against Atlanta and Brooklyn, he, he's, he's quick to make those moves. He's making moves, he's making adjustments, he's trying different things within games and actually being proactive. I, I just think that this has been a completely different Bud that we've seen sort of evolve as the season has gone on. No, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to win a title, but it is, it, it is funny to me that we're, no matter what, going to go six games in the NBA Finals and still, every time the Bucks lose, it's like, well, this guy's gone. You got to get rid of Bud. He's he's the worst coach. It's just the it's incredible the scrutiny that he finds himself under. It's just a, a fascinating angle for mine when I look at how people discuss Bud. Yeah, and I think the I hope that um, the questions about his defensive philosophy and the way that he has you know his willingness to make adjustments defensively, I, I feel like that he has largely answered. I mean. You know, if things go the way that they have been, you know, the Bucks will presumably end the, the playoffs with the, the best defense that we saw in the playoffs. Um, that was the recipe for keeping them in so many of these series is their defensive play. Um, you know, these last two games, the way that they've cut out corner threes and three-pointers in general, I mean, imagine if you told that to Bucks Twitter <laughs> during midseason, right? When Just think about how many games... Um, where the post-game talking points and complaints were like, we give up too many threes, teams, teams know our scheme, and they just you know, can get threes, and you know, that's going to be our downfall in the playoffs. And it hasn't, you know? I mean, again, famous last words, right? The Suns may come out and hit you know, 18 threes for the next th- two games straight or something like that. But, but you know, we're at the point now where 
the, uh, they have a pretty impressive track record in, in managing the three-point line. And obviously a lot of that's just because of the fact that they've gone small so much, the fact that they've switched a lot. Um, and they've, they've honestly managed to rein in some of the switching, right, which was a problem in game two of this series. And I think they've done a lot better job of that since then. Um, but I think the area that, you know, if, if the Bucks do fall short, I think offensively, I think it's probably going to be the area that, you know, will be the focal point. Drew Holiday's struggles, you know, Middleton, as good as he's been, he's obviously had inconsistencies. And then the question of, well, Giannis has been so unstoppable, you know, if he doesn't have monster scoring games from here on out, the obvious question of, well, you got to give him the ball more, right? How, how do you more leverage Giannis better? So um, that's the area I think that they're, you know, that I'm still worried about is offensively, can they take the right types of shots? Are they focusing on the right things? Last game, it still felt like, man, they were shooting a lot of three-point shots when they were not making any in that first half in particular. Um, a lot of jump shots that they were settling for when, you know, again, it, they've obviously had a ton of success getting to the paint, getting the rim. I, I will say, I think, I get frustrated because, like, national media folks do this too where they're just like, well, you're, you're so much bigger. Just go score, in the, go score in the paint. Go score at the basket. The suns are too small. It's like, well, okay, but, you know, if they are literally triple teaming Giannis or something like that, like you can't just jump over them every time, you know? Um, and so I think to me, that's what I'm most curious for in these next couple of games is just how much are they able to continue to sort of exert their will uh, inside. And then that can be getting to the rim for just, you know, buckets via Giannis, or it can also be just offensive rebounding and, and you know, crashing the glass and using their size that way. But how much does that continue versus, and they actually make jump shots, which I think again, if if uh, if Philly is or sorry, if, if Phoenix is going to continue to do what Marvel we saw last game, where they really try to send more bodies at Giannis, it's I mean they're going to invite the Bucks to shoot more threes, and <laughs> that's obviously I mean if you tell me if you ask me how would I defend the Bucks if I wanted to beat the Bucks, I would say pack the paint and dare him to shoot three pointers, and um, you know see see how it goes. So. Uh, <laughs> They're going to win this series. They're going to probably need to have at least a couple of good shooting games here the rest of the way, um, which the yeah, came. that kind of makes me nervous just to say it. But um, hopefully we will see a lot more. Hopefully we will see, continue to see a lot of Chris and Giannis pick and roll. But, uh, you know, Zach Lowe, who's the uh, official sort of recorder of, of Giannis uh, screening stats, I think he had the stat the other day that Giannis was averaging 30 screens per game in the playoffs and he averaged, I think, 19 during the regular season. So, um, so clearly that's been a big point of emphasis as Giannis has, you know, been quote unquote playing like a big man more and more. Uh, and I think the other thing too is, I mean, he sets good screens too, which I think is very helpful for someone like Chris scoring last night. Like he actually sets a real screen on this man. Um, I, I would be curious, you know, sometimes when he's rolling, it's because he's, you know, getting more of a brush screen, he's slipping that screen a little bit more so he can get ahead of steam and get a jump rolling to the rim. So, um, you know, uh, again, man, I'm just, I'm just, I'm nervous. I'm excited. Um, bring on game five because man, we just, uh, part of me, part of me almost wants to just like, you know, sim the rest of these games. Cause I'm just like so anxious about the results. Uh, but I got to follow my own advice and, and just enjoy them for what they are. Well, I'm glad we wrapped up the Bud Talk talking about Giannis and Chris because ultimately 
as we've always known, and I've always brought this up when it comes to coaches in the NBA as well, like there, there might be like a couple of elite, elite, elite coaches. And then I think there's a bunch of coaches that are, that are pretty similar. They've got some faults. They've got some, some pros. But uh, ultimately, they're all obviously really smart basketball people. But in the end, you still need Chris Middleton to come out and drop 40 points for you and 10 points in the final two minutes of a finals game. You still need Giannis to be coming up with one of the greatest blocks of all time in the game. Bud can't do anything about that. And that's always been the one point I will remind you. And, uh, and that's why this Giannis and Chris combination that we've seen come up so many times so far this postseason will be critical again. Uh, we, we've gone pretty long here, Frank. I reckon by the time people are listening to this, they would have figured it out that I've split this up into two podcasts. But I will also say, uh, go back and catch the postgame pod if you missed that because it was a fun one. It's always fun when the Bucks are winning and we get to do that after a, a playoff game. But uh, just hang in there, Frank. Hang in there, Frank. Uh, you, you know, uh, pass the time by looking up those flights, seeing how much money you're going to have to pay to fly from Texas to Milwaukee for game six of the NBA finals and everything will be just fine. Bring me home, Bucks. Give me a reason to fly home. That's all I ask. All right. We'll be back after game five for the post-game pod. Frank will be with me. We'll wrap it all up. Hopefully, the Bucks are within one win. <laughs> One win of an NBA championship. What an absolute absurd sentence to read out. It doesn't really feel uh, like... uh, It never felt like I was going to be in this position, that's for damn sure. But uh, this has been a lot of fun. We thank you all for supporting the show as you have continued to do through this postseason run. Like I said, after Game 5, catch us again. Stay safe and stay calm until Game 5 and we'll catch you then.